Mommy's Podcast. It's called A Slice of Paradise. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you enjoy it. Or, or. <laughs> Welcome to episode seven of A Slice of Paradise. Today's guest is one of my best friends, Carrie Box, and our conversation today is going to sound a lot like two best friends talking, and that's kind of my hope. Um, we've talked through a lot of these questions, and uh, we've lived life together over the last five years, and so a lot of these experiences are known on both of our parts, but it's something that I feel like um, is going to make a difference by, in my heart, in Carrie's heart, in the hearts of our listeners. I think it will resonate with a lot of our listeners and the world, and I'm really excited to hear what she has to say today. But first, we're going to talk about Carrie's slice. So, Carrie has a story about her slice. Tell me about why you chose, what you chose, and what you chose. So, my slice dates all the way back to um, when my brother and I were in diapers. Um, There's a picture on my dresser of my paternal grandfather and my brother and I uh, standing looking at his racehorses in downtown Houston in their yard and it's next to a Ponderosa lemon tree and that tree through the last 35 years of my life has survived and it has survived up until the point of unfortunately our family had to sell the family farm um, in Hempstead a couple months ago and it was still alive so um, at least you know, 35, I'm, I'm almost 36, 35 years that I know that that tree has been alive and it grew one to two pound lemons. Wow. And so my grandma had to find things to make with this lemon juice and it was actually real lemons. It was just massive ones. And so one of the things that she always made was lemon icebox pie and it was very simple. It was, um, I feel like from the depression, uh, the, Recipe was really uh, quick, a couple of uh, ingredients, including a lot of lemon juice and no oven time, no baking, and so um, it was very simple to make, and it included all the ingredients, so they used the egg whites for the um, filling on top, and then the yolk for the filler um, with with lemons, and so um, I always just think of my grandparents with that, and all of my grandparents, all four of them were a big part of my life and baking and cooking and just those kind of some of those essential traits that you learn growing up um, in the summers. And so it's just a special place in my heart, the lemon, the lemon tree. So Mitchell made lemon icebox pie and uh, it was very lemony. It was very delicious. (laughs) We were able to pass it out to some of our close friends and everyone oohed and awed over it and said it was delicious. There was very little talking while we were eating. <laughs> yes. A lot of very moans little. and like, mm, you mm-hmm. know, that's really good. But um, thank you, Mitchell, for making that pie for us. It was delicious. Absolutely. Okay, so we are going to talk today about Carrie's battle that she has had. And it isn't just a Carrie battle. It's a battle that um, she and her husband have together. And I feel like a lot of us walk that battle and struggle with her on a daily, on a daily basis um, Carrie has been trying to have children naturally for how long? Ten and a half years. Ten and a half years. And so she and her husband, Kenny, will refer to him by his first name throughout this episode, but she and her husband, Kenny, have been married for how long? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. <laughs> and together for? Sixteen. <clears throat> Sixteen years, and we've been trying for ten and a half of those years. Um, 
what measures have you taken to try to conceive, uh, obviously, naturally, the old-fashioned way, um, but once you hit a certain time frame, you start to seek different arrangements. Um, what different measures have you chosen to try? Well, in fertility and uh, infertility treatment, there are all kinds of different options. And I feel like through our um, 10-year journey, it even changed after we would take a small break. Every couple of years, it would change. And so um, there's new te- new technology. It's great. Um, there's constantly things out there um, that are ever-evolving for um, new moms and dads uh, to try. Um, but in 2011 is where we, um, started trying December of 2011. And, um, after just one year of trying and and not getting pregnant, not being successful, um, not even having, you know, a positive pregnancy test at one point, um, at any point, um, we decided to go to our OB. We didn't know where else to go. Um, and we started with our OB and I, I say all that to say that I feel like we've tried everything under the sun, but it's constantly every couple of years there's a new technology out there. And so even now there's probably new things from 2019 since the last time we were um, working with a doctor that um, we're not aware of that's Mm -hmm. out there. But Mm -hmm. I do feel like we've tried everything under the sun. Right. (laughs) Okay, so give me a quick look into the timeline of what you did try, when you tried it in your journey, and what the outcome was. Yeah. Um, so we met in um, April of 2006, and we dated for two years and then got engaged and got married in May of 2009. Um, I was a grad student at the time, and so we decided that, you know, if we could plan those things, I'm a planner, so if we could plan, I, I said we're not, you know, going to start a family. Both of us said we're not going to start a family until we're done with school, so I graduated in December of 2009, and um, I was very, very sick on birth control. It made me very, very sick at night. And so my husband, Kenny, said, let's just get off of it. Let's just be careful, you know, and we'll, you're through with school. We both have jobs. We're not going to worry about it. Um, so in December of 2011, um, I don't know any, the pinnacle moment that we decided, hey, we're going to start trying naturally to have kids. But um, in December of 2011, we started trying. We had moved to Franklin and um, had new jobs there. And um, we tried for a year. And then when I went back to my new OB in the Bryan College Station area after a year, um, she had said that, well, you've actually been off birth control for three years. And so you should definitely have been able to get pregnant in the last year. you know. And so um, she immediately said we can start trying Clomid. So I go home and, and tell Kenny um, about Clomid, and um, he immediately, it ensues a very large disagreement. And for the next couple of hours, you know, we're young. Uh, we've been married three years. Um, we didn't know what we were fighting about. Looking back 10 years later, I, I don't even know what started it, what caused it, just that we weren't communicating. We weren't talking just straight up how we felt. And by the end of this very ugly discussion, we finally realized that we had made some plans in the summer of um, the next year. And if I were to become pregnant, then we wouldn't be able to do those plans. And so once we figured that out, um, we kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, we're on the same page again. Um, But she also, the doctor also asked us um, to seek professional uh, infertility help. And so we had gone to a doctor in the Woodlands 
and in that January, the next year, and he quoted us immediately, we should do IVF right away. Um, it's going to be $23,000, very cavalier, you know, just write us a check. And um, if you need help, you know, you've, there's interest loans out there, 29% interest rate mm-hmm. loans. Yeah. And um, let's just get this done. Let's do IVF. Obviously, we were not ready to do that. We didn't, that was not comfortable. It didn't feel right. And so we took a step back and we waited um, the right amount of time that the OB said that I could travel and be pregnant. And so, um, which at the time was 30 weeks. So when we, about the time we felt it was right was April of 2013, um, we started on Clomid. And so it's just a pill you take um, starting at a certain time of your cycle, and it helps you to ovulate. It helps make sure that you've got um, an egg or two coming out. Well, mm-hmm. there was 30% chance, I believe, um, 30 to 40% chance of twins. So in June of 2013, we went to buy me a new car. We put a lot of miles on our vehicles, and my husband said, okay, we're going to go buy you a Ford Expedition because we have lots of family we go eat with all the time and you're going to have twins and that's going to be the the end of that so we just need a big old expedition it was beautiful it was probably my favorite car looking back thinking about that story like what that represented um in that summer we went to europe to visit um, my husband's family had an amazing trip with my mother-in-law and father-in-law and um we came back and you know just fully expected to be pregnant big fat pregnant with twins Mm -hmm. um before you knew it um, so then in the fall, um, when we hadn't really, you know, see, saw any results from Clomid, we, uh, a very, very good friend of mine that has helped us through a lot of this, uh, had been talking to another friend that I actually now work with, um, that we both work with, mm-hmm. um, she had told her about a doctor in Bryan College Station, and so, um, Dr. Gaddis, and so I went to see him, and he said, oh, no, you should not be on Clomid very long. Um, it actually has r- negative effects, um, and so we need to get you off that. So he worked with me through my cycle um, for a couple of times, monitored me, um, came in a couple of times a month, very low um, cost. Um, just You could just tell he was there to help you, you know, just there to make sure that you got pregnant or that you were healthy in any part of your cycle. Um, so that did not work. Um, he also had some heart problems. So his partner, his female partner stepped in and she did one cycle. She ended, uh, finished the cycle of IUI with us. And that's what they, we call the turkey baster method where there's not a whole lot of science behind it. They're just getting the sperm and the egg closer together. Um, so they're, um, extracting the sperm and then making sure that, it is definitely getting in where it needs to go close to the fertilized or close to the egg to fertilize it. Um, so it was a very, very inexpensive procedure with this particular OB. And after just one trial, uh, his partner, she said, look, I've looked at your chart. I'm very well aware of what's going on in your life and your timeline thus far, which at the time didn't seem like very long. Um, and she said, I don't want to waste any more of your time. She's like, you're, you know, y'all are getting, we were 27, 28 maybe at the time. And she's like, let's get this going. You know, I, I want you to be successful. So let's seek um, more professional help. So another friend that we work with, um, one of my coworkers, had given me the name of this doctor years back um, that was out of Austin that had actually performed surgery on her daughter, emergency surgery. And so I contacted him. I'd had I'd kept the piece of paper with my coworker's handwriting on it. 
um, for years, and I just looked him up. I filled out the application and decided this is where I want to go. He was very confident, we'll say that, very confident in himself that uh, he could get us pregnant. And so that gets us to about 2015. Um, So we went through a bunch of tests. There's um, all kinds of uh, genetics testing, blood work, dye tests. Um, They actually run dye through your fallopian tubes, make sure everything's clear. Um, All that seemed clear. And so he said, okay, well, looks like we need to maybe try endometriosis surgery, um, a laparoscopy. And um, he had said that, you know, the only real way to know if you have endometriosis is to actually open you up. So earlier in that year, I had endoscopic sinus surgery. And so that was at the beginning of the year I'd been through that, which I don't recommend. It was horrible. (laughs) I've heard that from everyone that's had that surgery. It it was rough. Um, Very, very rough. And I will say it did help me for a couple years, but um, it didn't help me for long. I had a lot of sinus infections. So I was also fighting that, you know, Mm -hmm. going to the doctor with that some. So we did the laparoscopy in October of 2016. I was lower than a stage one. Um, It is very similar to cancer. It's a stage one through four. And I was very, very at the beginning stages of a stage one. So very good results from that. Um, Also, uh, once they clean you out and do everything from that surgery, they say that you're very likely to be fertile. You're very cleaned out, ready to go. Um, And so in November of 16, we did our first more clinical, more professional IUI um, that cost like three to $6,000. We did one in November. Um, I went to the doctor the day before Thanksgiving and the day after because this office is open every single day of the year. Wow. Yeah. They are, the nurses, doctors, they're amazing. And if he's not there, there's six other, seven other doctors on staff that they all take turns um, and they make sure that they see you every single day of the year. So it doesn't matter when your cycle falls, when you start, you don't have to stress about that. Um, amazing, amazing team. Um, so we actually, you know, went after Thanksgiving and um, come to find out we had kind of missed the window for um, I had ovulated too soon. Mm-hmm. And so we tried it again with the, with um, the same shots, you know, all the same medicine and um, everything kind of hit on point in December of 16, but again, it was unsuccessful. So we kind of t- decided to take a break, um, just a quick break, and um, that's when I had met Kara in between there. And so we, my husband and I just, you know, we just kind of ran with emotions. We got very involved in charity events. We got very involved in our nieces and nephews and cousins and our, and, um, some of our friends, we got real close with them and started really um, just kind of having fun and letting loose. And if any of you guys um, know the word trying is one of the most awful words I've ever heard. Um, but, you know, a lot of people will tell you, don't try, just don't try. Mm-hmm. And so this was a period of us not trying. And so that was a year, year and a half probably. And then um, we had decided, my husband asked me, um, can we look at other doctors, different doctors um, from the one that we looked at? So a couple of friends had suggested over that year uh, different people they had heard of. And so we went to Fort Worth. We tried to go back to the Woodlands. Um, we went to Bryan College Station. We went to several different places and just didn't find one that fit, just didn't find one that we loved. And so fortunately, um, when the time came, uh, we went back to um, Austin to Dr. Silverberg. And um, I'll never forget it. It was August 8th of 2018. I got an email from my husband, and he said, I'm ready. 
and I knew exactly what that was. You knew exactly what it was mm-hmm. and um, afforded it to you. And I just said, this is it. We're ready. Um, so we had tried, you know, Clomid and um, just some natural things with different medicines and shots. We had tried two different versions of, of IUI and something in my head just told me this whole time that IVF was the way to go. Mm-hmm. It was a 70% um, success rate and I mean, everything, they were even getting the science down to where they don't put multiple eggs in you. You know, I went, one of my very first jobs, I worked with um, a girl that tried three times. And on her third time, I believe they put in five eggs and three survived. And so um, she had triplet daughters, triplets to this day. They're, They're in college right now. And they got to the point where in science where they can put one or two eggs in knowing that they're going to be 70% successful. And so I just thought, this is it. This is, this is the way to go. Foolproof. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure why I had so much confidence in it. Um, but we, so we went, because it had been a couple years, you had to go back through the dye tests and some of the different tests just to make sure that nothing had developed, um, polyps, things like that over the years. So we did that in in late uh, 2018, and in November, we got ready, and we started, you know, doing the shots, um, shots every day, three to four, um, and then we uh, go on to the doctor uh, every two days um, because they would check your eggs, check your measurements every two days, and it was getting, you know, you're kind of in the throes of it, and you look back and you think, how did I do that, mm-hmm. you know? And something that I just thought of is, the first time, the first rounds in 2016 with IUI, I was doing all of it by myself. My husband was very new at his current job, and we just didn't have the vacation, and I had the time. He didn't. And so um, in 2018, he said, I'm going to go with you, and he only missed one or two appointments. My dad um, actually took me to one of those appointments, and then I think that um, I only had to go to one by myself. Mm-hmm. And the world of difference, having my two best guys right there beside me was incredible. Um, you know, I would get up at 5 in the morning and from Franklin, drive to Austin. Um, you had to be in Austin before 8 to get your blood drawn so that you could have those blood results back the same day. And so um, I'd be there before 8, get my blood drawn, and then at some point between 8 and 10, they would schedule you in an appointment. And towards the end, getting to know the doctor better, um, he said, just walk in. You know, you're two, two and a half hours away. You just walk in and we'll fit you in. And it was amazing. Um, But then you'd have a doctor's appointment. They'd measure your eggs, how many eggs you had. And then I would turn around and go to work and drive two and a half hours to do it. And the team that we work with was incredible, super supportive, um, never gave me any flack about being gone at all. Um, and they were just amazing to, Mm -hmm. to be supportive as well. But, um, there was one day in there somewhere where, um, I was very, very nervous and, um, I felt like I needed to ask my husband to pray with me and what was so strange. And I feel like that was a turning point in our marriage that I knew something had to change, but I didn't, it wasn't anything wrong that had to change. It just needed to change that, I was scared to ask him to pray with me. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I asked him, he's, yeah, no problem. Let's pray. And so um, we'd pray at night together every night. And we strayed away from that. Um, as we all do. <laughs> um, and we've gotten more spiritual in our morning commutes ourselves. You know, sometimes you just want to talk to God by himself. And 
sometimes I think I was scared. I was scared to admit failure, um, admit that there was something I was not able to accomplish all by myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really good turning point of knowing that we're together. Um, Now, asking God to come into that journey with us, um, we still hadn't done at that point. But we had started realizing we're in this together. Um, Again, one of those good friends that was going to one of the same doctors as me had said, look, your husband's going through this too. It's mm-hmm. just that they go through it very differently. Yes. Um, so that was that was something, that was kind of a slap in the face that I needed is that they, they suffer just as much. It just looks different. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started praying, and um, I'll never forget, we drove there that morning to extract the eggs, and this is the first part of the IVF process. And, you know, I had... We were looking at 18 to 22 eggs, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, you know, I'm just so blessed mm-hmm. to have these eggs. And there's girls that I hear that have one to two, and it's and it's a pyramid idea where you start with a lot. Um, you could start with 10 to 20, and as the seven days go on, as they start growing in the, pe- the peach tree, peach tree? I don't know. Uh, Petri. Petri dish. That's what it <laughs> is. Peach tree. I'm thinking about dessert. Um <laughs> They as they start growing in the petri dish and they start grading them, um, they actually start shrinking. Some of them um, don't grade uh, the way they should, and and then they dissolve. And so, um, twenty eggs was amazing, you know. So we go in that morning. It's similar to surgery, but um, very non-invasive, not near as bad as a surgery. And they knock me out. And the next thing I remember is waking up and I could just see the look on Kenny's face, and it just didn't look right. And he told me that um, they got 18 eggs, but they were small. Um, they weren't measuring big enough, and he, the doctor didn't think they would make it. And so I remember feeling the most awful pain. Mm-hmm. And, and so the ride home was surprisingly short. Um, we had a, you know, two hour drive home from Austin and I just remember thinking, what did you do, Carrie? What, what did you do now? Like, how did you screw this up too? And so we talked to the doctor over the next coming couple of days and, um, as you can imagine, none of the, none of the eggs survived. And, um, so we went back in for a consultation. Um, he put me back on a month of birth control and, uh, he said that he didn't feel like the dosage was correct. Um, and as if anybody's been through this process, it's five to $6,000 worth of medicine that you're taking for only a two-week period. And But the doctor's got to get it right. He's got to get it just right, too, or it's not going to grow your eggs as fast. You know, typically we're only supposed to release one egg a month, and he's getting it to where he's overstimulating us to release as many as we possibly can mm-hmm. and as big as we possibly can. And so he said that his calculation was off and that, um, you know, not blaming him, never, never have blamed him. Um, God gave him this incredible ability to help us. And um, so never have I faulted him, but they were incredible. And they um, gave us a discount on the the second retrieval. And again, at this point, I had never 
never thought we'd been be going through a second retrieval. I thought that, oh, it's just one and done. You know, we're, we'll get this and we'll knock this out and we'll be pregnant by, you know, and having a baby yeah. by September, you know. And so um, we took a break for a month. And then in February of 19, uh, we did a second extraction. And it's good to do it where there's still a lot of the hormones that you've been um, putting in your body still high at high levels. And so we went through all of the shots again and um, went through the same process. And we were able to get seven um, good eggs. And he said, I'm going to concentrate on the bigger ones and really hone in on those and extract those. So we extracted seven, and um, we were actually at our um, my husband's best man's house for the weekend in Hewitt, and they had made the call on day five because the first day they call you the very next day or at the end of the first day and the next day, and then they call you every other day. And on day five, they actually called and said we had a double A grade egg that was looking amazing. They're gonna. They had already biopsied it and put it in the freezer. It was good to go. It didn't even need to make it to day seven. Um, so we were really excited about that. Um, and I just knew. I, I just thought, well, it only takes one. You know, you only need one egg. And so a couple months went by. Um, at the time, the technology had started telling them that frozen eggs actually did just as well, if not better, than fresh eggs. So we didn't turn around and put it right back in. Um, and in July of 2019, we, um, did a trial run. So we did the shots and the, the, um, vitamins for doing a, an implantation without doing it. So we went in like we were going to do it and they biopsied my uterus and sent the results off to Spain. Um, it was a very new technology at the time and they were trying to decide if I could carry a baby. And so, it takes about two weeks for the results, so that definitely would um, pass the cycle time. Um, but we were well, well aware of that, and you know we've got this one egg, so uh, we wanted to make sure everything was good. And um, so it came back excellent results, 97% rating uh, that I could carry a baby. And so we skipped that month, and then in August, on August 12th, one of my best friends from high school's birthday, um, we put the egg in. Um, we actually could have known the sex if we wanted to. Um, there was all of that information mm-hmm. in there, but we said no. We, we don't want to know any of that. And it drives my, my friends crazy a lot of times because I've even said I don't want to know the sex the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, I'm a planner, right. so you know yeah. that would, <laughs> that would not work out. Um, but so come August 21st, uh, just shy of 14 days, um, they had called and said, the weirdest call I would have ever gotten. Um, I took a half day. My supervisor let me take um, time off and go be with Kenny so that we could be there together when we got the call. And to back up a little bit, on that Monday, I had actually taken a pregnancy test, and it was pre- it was it came back positive. It was very, very light, very pale, um, but it was positive. And, you know, you say that you don't get your hopes up, but your mind just goes in a million places right off, right off the bat, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so on Wednesday, we were sitting at Wings and More in College Station and got the call. And she said, well, you're pregnant, but kind of. And I had taken a pregnancy test that morning, and it was negative. And so I kind of knew, but I didn't, you know, never, neither one of us ever being through this process knew what was really going on. Mm -hmm. You know, we thought, well, it could, you know, the test or something, you know, didn't know. 
So she said, so usually your levels, um, and I forget the levels at the time of this certain hormone, um, progesterone, I think, are supposed to double each day. And um, she said they are, they got better, but then they're starting to go down or level out. Mm -hmm. And so she said, you're technically showing that you're pregnant, but we don't think that you are. But we'll wait and see. We'll test you again on Friday. And so they did allow me to test um, a blood test at our local burning college station area and not have to go all the way to Austin. So um, I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember, but that that Friday um, they called. And I guess at that point um, I had made peace with it that uh, this just wasn't it. This wasn't the right moment. And um, when she called, you know, I grabbed you and Megan and we went outside and knew that it wasn't, wasn't going to work. So, um, Making peace with it that morning and that week didn't make that any easier. No. For any of us. <laughs> Absolutely not. We had all kind of had a, an inclination or I guess maybe a concern that this one wasn't it. But hearing it was just, diff- it just killed us all. I mean. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine. Um, I've never really thought about it from this perspective, but your faces and your support, I would have never thought you had any doubt. Um but when it came down to it, you, in the ugly of it, I can't imagine what you felt like you needed to say or not say, but you did it perfectly. All, I don't even everybody. know what we said. But, <laughs> I don't either. And I but. don't know what to tell people in the moment now to say besides, like, I don't know. You just got to hug it out. You got to cry yes. it out. Yeah. Over and over. And, and cried. We did a lot of that. <laughs> we cried and cried and cried and cried. We did a lot of that. So that was your last attempt. Yes. Um, your last medical attempt. Yes. Um, obviously still actively trying to conceive naturally. Um, so take me back to what it felt like every single month when that time came every month where you were either you either were or you weren't. What did it feel like? And I have my own stories about how it felt for me too when we were trying. But what did it feel like for you when you weren't? Well, I think the initial thing is that, you know, at the end of the month, it's not just a postman coming to your door with a no. It's not um, someone coming with a a 12-pack of roses saying, hey, you know, not this month. It's, you know, cramps, and it's a horrible period, and uh, the cycle's over, and you've got to deal with four or five days of bloating and wanting to eat a burger, and you know how it is. Yeah. It's just, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. It's not a, It's the worst know. way to get bad news. Right, right, absolutely. And so it definitely isn't fun, and for a long, long time, I didn't count the days. I didn't count the months. I didn't count my cycles, um, but after a while, you know, you start to realize how many periods in it been. And one, at one point it had been 52 cycles. And I thought, man, that just doesn't seem like a lot for as much pain as my heart is feeling. Like it doesn't seem like we've been through that much, mm-hmm. but you know, that's months, that's 52 months of your life. And I mean, it has definitely been 95% of my marriage that we've been in the throes of this. And, and just so we can make this clear to, men or people who haven't had to struggle those 52 months it's just like this get off your period you have a six seven eight day wait where you're (laughs) like oh I feel like a human again and then you realize ovulation time is here yep and we've got to get this done during this time because if we don't we're going to miss it and then you have this 
10, 12 day wait yes. after that that is excruciating. Excruciating, yes. Every single month. You're absolutely right. You're living <laughs> a cycle of just literally a cycle, but you're living a cycle of just like wait and see, wait and see, okay, it's not, wait and see, okay, it's not. Now we're in pain, wait and see, okay, it's not. Yeah. Over and over and over again for 52 months or however many months, 10 and a half years is. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so when you were doing IVF, and I was present for a lot of this, so I remember the same feelings of the wait and see. You had to put how many, do we even know how many shots in one cycle? No, um, you know, I see on Pinterest or social media a lot of girls counting their shots, and I think that's a way of coping. Um, One of the ways they tell you to cope is to make a journal of all of the details and it was the complete opposite for me. Um, I, I just wanted to bury it. I didn't want to know. Um, I would say a minimum of 100 shots. I'm probably being really uh, generous, but I would say one to 200 shots minimum. And then they implant, right, mm-hmm. after the shots, the 100 and something shots. And then you have this two-week wait. Yes. Where you're considered pupo, right? Pupo? Mm-hmm. Isn't that how we say it? Yes. Pregnant until proven otherwise? Yes. And so you're technically pregnant in that time frame, and you can feel pregnancy symptoms, but it may not be a viable pregnancy at the end of the two-week wait. And so this two-week wait is even more excruciating excruciating than your natural period wait because you've got so much more time and money sunk into it. Right. But um, at what point in this did you first think you may never conceive naturally? I think... The day I woke up from my first extraction, um, I realized it's not foolproof. Um, It's not a 100% guarantee, and they had told me that up front, that it was definitely not a 100% guarantee. Um, I honestly think, you know, it's been two and a half years. My husband and I have talked, um, you know, going on three years almost. Um, We talked about it taking a one- to two-year break, and I honestly say it's only been in the last year to year and a half to be completely honest, that I've started to come around to the idea that I may not carry my own child. Mm-hmm. How did that feel when you when you came to that conclusion? Shockingly, very peaceful. Freeing. Freeing, yes. Um, it's a pressure that only I put on myself. Um, my husband has been absolutely incredible through this process um I have so many funny stories of you know going to uh, Walgreens and getting a prescription and it's an extreme dose of something and you know there's not a lot of fertility doctors yet in the Brian College Station area and so these pharmacists don't see these dosages of everything as frequently as, you know, the, you know, around my doctor's office in Austin. And so a lot of them would look at Kenny and say, are, are, are you sure this is the right, you know, are you sure, you know, y'all know what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's coming directly from the doctor. So, you know, that you know, we have nothing to do with the dosage, but um, it was, you know, funny to see the scared look on his face of, you know, the hormonal changes I would go through uh, with some of these uh, prescriptions. But um, it's, it's been freeing to realize that 
he is not putting the pressure on me mm-hmm. and that God is not putting the pressure on me. God has a plan, and I have been absolutely resistant to that plan. And in, I would say, the last year to 18 months, I have been paying attention and understanding, seeing the signs um, that lead me to know that it is way more powerful than me, and, and I'm not... I'm not the plan. He's the plan. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Um, you are how old today? 35. <laughs> and you have been faced with a lot of terms, terminology from infertility doctors, um, from Google searches of what is considered too old to conceive or um, not in your prime, right? Yeah. Um, that's always really hard to hear, yes. especially when we know that it is possible. There's a percentage of people who can conceive past a certain age. Of course, people do that all the time. Um, at what age does that begin when you start to be considered high risk or? 35. 35. So yeah. you've hit it. Yes. And so I know that when you were walking through the second failed IVF attempt, that was big in your head. That your internal clock was ticking. And that if this didn't work this time, it wasn't going to happen. And um, I can't imagine what that felt like in the moment, like every single day. I mean, we all have an an internal clock, but you had this like one true wish, one true hope and prayer was that you would have a child. And you, because of the things you've read and because of the things people have said that are or are not true, we have no idea. (laughs) I mean, every day another pregnancy proves that it's not true. Um, You have this concern for yourself and this almost black cloud over you that okay time's up it's not going to happen anymore we have several friends who have the same thoughts um we know it's possible we know in god all things are possible Mm -hmm. right and so every day is not a ticking time bomb away from the ability to conceive naturally we know that we are claiming that tell me about the difference between and the struggle between the inability to get pregnant and the inability to stay pregnant? This is a topic that's been very interesting to me, um, especially in the last five years. um, As I feel like the first five or six years that we walked this journey, we didn't know anybody that was going through this journey. And all of a sudden, I look up one day at work, and I'm working with four other women that have just been hired in the last year at this point, not today, but at this point a year and a half ago, that are walking the same battle as me. One that had been battling it since the day that they got married, and three that were starting to to enter that journey um, in the last year or so. And I will say that... Um, it's so freeing to feel like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's freeing to feel like you can bounce something off of someone that sounds so crazy and then completely understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Among those four friends, we have, and a lot of other people that we know, we have some people who have been able to conceive but not stay pregnant. And then you have some who haven't been able to conceive at all and never felt any of that. Right. So, so the ones, our friends that we know here at work, um, we have gotten into some intimate details about their journeys. And one in particular has had several miscarriages, had several times 
um, where they have seen a positive pregnancy test and then another one and another one, and for weeks they're pregnant, and they're able to make that first phone call to their doctor that, okay, I'm, I'm pregnant, I'm ready to go, okay, let's, you know, six, eight, ten weeks, let's get in and have our first ultrasound, and somewhere between that phone call and that visit, and sometimes even made that first visit and saw the first ultrasound, they lose their pregnancy and they lose their baby. And I fortunately have never had to experience that. And those that have had miscarriages have come to me so upset that I haven't even been able to get pregnant. And so it's kind of one of those like, you know, what's worse, being pregnant or the other, you know, mm-hmm. the guys and gals always talk about. But it's one of those things that I haven't been able to, you know, I don't have an opinion about miscarriages and the pain that goes behind that. I can only imagine, and I feel like that's a far greater pain than I've ever experienced. Um, but the women that have had miscarriages look at me because I've never had a viable pregnancy. I've never had a true positive pregnancy test um, that didn't have to do with hormones or, or shots that I was taking at the time. Um, and they look to me as that's the more painful process. So um, I really can't answer that question. You know, I know that we sit here today and we both have that question amongst each other. Um, but I've been, honestly, I feel like that's one one piece of the broken puzzle that I haven't had to endure. Mm-hmm. And I, I just can't imagine being able to start dreaming of this child. And I know a lot of the women and and their husbands as well that know what that due date would have been. Mm -hmm. And even nine months later when they get to that due date, thinking through that due date and for a while remembering, you know, this is what would have been. Right. Um, And so it's heartbreaking to think of of them and and the miscarriages that they go through and sometimes multiple miscarriages. I can't even imagine. I had one, and um, and very early on, we had already told my in-laws and my parents, my family, and I had to go back to them a week later and say, okay, actually, everything that I said is not. And and I remember feeling so alone, Um, even though my husband was there and Mitchell and I were working through it and, you know, life went on, but there was still this constant reminder of what wasn't anymore. And so... um, that pain is different, and it is different. And I went through a time of infertility, too, where it was like it just couldn't happen. And really, we put infertility, we put both of these scenarios under this big infertility umbrella, but mm-hmm. they are two very different oh, yeah. heartaches. Yeah, right. Um, both no one should have to experience ever, right. but so very different. Um, what is your greatest fear about not having children of your own? Um, so in thinking through this, I've thought about it similar to the age question um, that to answer your question there, it very much, you know, 30 hit me really, really hard. And a lot of people, because I wasn't opening up about our um, our issues and our battle, um, they didn't understand. You know, I would say, oh, I, can't, I hate, I mean, I, for two years before I turned 30, I talked about it mm-hmm. and how much I was dreading it. Because I had a goal. I had goals in mind. Sure. You know, you yeah. know me. I had thoughts of, well, I'm going to do this by 30 and I'm going to do this by 35 Mm -hmm. and I'm going to, you know, be a young grandmother and a young mother when they graduate and I don't don't have to worry about those things. And, um, 
So similarly, it's, you know, you have this plan in your head and when it doesn't work out, you're just devastated, Mm -hmm. you know? And so my biggest fear, um, of not ever conceiving children is what is our future? What does our future look like? Mine and Kenny's and what do we do? Um, whose basketball games do we attend? Whose baseball tournaments, you know, um, who do we spoil at Christmas? And, you know, who do you leave your legacy to? Who do you leave your life to? What are, what are we doing this for? Who are we doing this for? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that answer changes year by year. Um, it's getting more prevalent now. Um, the older I get and the older Kenny gets, um, because my precious little redhead will be 40 this year. <laughs> and so um, it's definitely, you know, big big age um, milestones that, that really get you to thinking and bringing those subjects up again. And I think that's my biggest fear is mm-hmm. just, um, you know, we're supposed to love a child and raise them, and then they raise us mm-hmm. at the end. You know, they take care of us, and that's something with my grandparents. You know, all four of our grandparents have passed away in the last um, five years with the exception of, um, Kenny's mom's parents. I wasn't able to ever meet them, um, unfortunately. And then my mom's dad passed away right after we got married. Um, but we have been so fortunate with our grandparents to be, live to be in their nineties, um, late eighties and nineties. And so we got to see that we got to see a lot of, you know, them use up their retirement and then, um, fortunately be able to live in their home till they passed away. And, um, what that took of their kids and grandkids and great grandkids even to take care of them. And, you know, it's kind of daunting to think about, you know, we don't, we possibly wouldn't have any grandkids or great grandkids to spoil and to pass on recipes to and, you know, eat lemon icebox pie with. And (laughs) so, um, that would definitely be my biggest fear. What's the thing you dream the most about when you dream of having your own child? Oh, the most. Um, I would say the little things. Um, of course, again, the older you get, um, the more you think about those small things. Um, just, again, uh, passing on family legacies, mm-hmm. um, passing on memories of someone that you know your child may have known um, and you get to share and giggle about it later. Or uh, passing on heirlooms, um, passing on traits, you know, how to raise cattle or how to um, mow the yard and change the oil in the in the truck or something. Um, just those little things that you can pass on generation to generation and, and most importantly, manners and respect because, sure. you know, this world <laughs> needs so much of that mm-hmm. kindness. I think if I had to say one, passing on that kindness, I would love to see that bestowed in my children well both of you are incredibly kind and you have servant hearts that's for sure and so um I think we've all sat around and dreamt about what characteristics your kids would have and how much we've prayed for those kids to have those characteristics and and those kids to be come into fruition um what do you if you could name any positives with this struggle obviously we know that if you could change anything it would be to have children (laughs) But since you're in it, what positives have come from it? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest positive is I was raised by my parents and my grandparents. And to know my dad's mom, 
I feel like she was a very strong-willed woman, and she, my Gingen, wanted a lot out of me and held me to a very high standard, all of us grandkids. And my mom's dad, my Paul Goss, was so kind-hearted, just just the most kind-hearted man you'd ever meet. And I unfortunately, I say fortunately, but maybe unfortunately, got that kind a soft-hearted side of him and often naive, um, very vulnerable, very emotional side. Mm -hmm. And I think through this process, it has taught me not only thick skin, um, which is a hard lesson to learn, but it's still a lesson, um, but it's also taught me that every single person is fighting a battle. And I don't know the percentage of people that are... um, expressing their battles, talking about their battles, and the ones that aren't. Um, But I would fear that more aren't sharing their battles than are, and they're dealing with it because they think that they're the only one having to deal with, you know, um, breast cancer, but also this treatment, and also three kids and twins, and we've got this to do and that to do, and I'm not going to keep my kid from missing this because I'm battling this Mm -hmm. over here. And so I think that oftentimes we feel like, we're the only ones fighting this particular battle, and we're not. And so having that grace, we talk about grace mm-hmm. all the time. It keeps coming up, doesn't it? It keeps coming up. And uh, having that grace for everyone that, you know, some people just are having a bad day, but some people are having a bad week. Mm-hmm. Some people are having a bad year, and we've seen that. Yeah. And to know that you have to be patient with them and know that there's something coming out of this, whether it's them influence us or us influence them. Um, Everyone is fighting their own fight. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I think that's kind of the basis behind this whole podcast is just to hone in on everyone's struggle and have grace for each other. You mentioned that you felt like at different points in this struggle that you were fighting alone. Why do you think infertility is so taboo? Um, and why do those going through it seem to end up fighting it alone? I did too. Why do we Why do we do this? I think there's two parts that um, have become clear to me as I get older. Um, the first one actually was early on in my um, in my uh, journey. It was that you know, regardless of how much money you make, you can get a loan to buy a car. You can get a loan to buy a four wheeler. You can go ask your parents or grandparents for money. Um, you may win the lottery. And most things are tangible that you can buy. But this seems like such an intangible thing, similar to happiness, um, similar um, to family you know, loss, family loss, friend loss. It's something that you cannot control, um, that it truly is in God's plan and you just have to give it all to him. And again, I'm still very much uh, in arguments with him over that and giving up and 100% of that control. Um, But early on, I feel like, you know, I was, I was supposed to get my master's in accounting. So I did and I was supposed to go take this test and I was supposed to get a good job. And um, with a good company that's going to last me there forever and I can be content with. And Kenny's going to get a job in sales and he's great at talking to people and he loves people and, and helping them. And, you know, we were just 
checking off all these goals one by one, and this was just one that you can't buy. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, you can go seek for uh, treatments, and you can pay for those treatments, but in the end, it's up to it's up to God, and that there's something that is very um, humbling about that that you can't just go out and buy this like you can something else. And then later on, you know, as you get kind of in your late 20s, early 30s, you start comparing yourselves to other couples, couples that are your age, older, younger, and you only see the things that you don't have. And you don't see, you know, your 42-year-old, 40-year-old beautiful sister-in-law having a very healthy baby boy to give us our first nephew. You don't see those young kids that are struggling that have now had three babies and don't know what they're going to do tomorrow um, to feed or clothe mm-hmm. their child, you only see the things that they have that you don't. Exactly. And you compare yourself. And so I think it's hard, especially for us women, <laughs> to admit that there's something that we don't have that someone else had so, you know, it came so easily to yes. them. Um, Almost so. unplanned in yes. some cases. Yes. Um, I think another reason why we consider ourselves so alone is because you, you do feel like you're the minority. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you came prepared with a statistic, and that is that how many women? One in eight. One in eight women experience some form of infertility. That tells you that, yes, you are the minority still, but not by the margins that you thought. Absolutely When you're in the moment, you think, I know no one who's gone through this, and even the one person that I do know has gone through it, I don't want her to know that I'm also going through it because she might look at me as you know, less than because I can't produce this child that I've been praying for and, and she finally has one and these ladies have one and this, these husbands are now dads and um, it's just so easy for us to pigeonhole ourselves and totally isolate us from everything else and we all, we almost lose sight of like common sense that yes, this happens every day, of course it does. We've heard thousands of stories of this happening to people we know but you Put yourself into this so alone and isolated state to believe that it's just you and you have to do it alone. And I, I think about each episode that I interview, I think beforehand about what my mission is in the episode. And I sometimes ask the person I'm interviewing what their mission is. But I think my mission with this one is I need you to know that you don't have to fight alone. I need you to know that there are women around you, 100% women around you who have gone through this, one in eight and if you don't know a woman, you reach out to me. You reach out to Carrie. We're going to be um, a soft place to land for your head who <laughs> is just so tired of fighting and so tired of being cycle to cycle and two-week wait and pregnant until proven otherwise until you're not, yeah, right? Absolutely. And so we want to be that for other women around us. Um, honestly, we pray for that. What is something you want everyone to know about fighting this battle? Everyone is fighting is is fighting battles, but what about this battle specifically? I would say that don't beat yourself up. Don't have such extreme expectations whether it's the doctor or the money or how many times a day that you pray with God about this plan. Don't get yourself so worked up on the expectations of what age you're supposed to have a child or that it's supposed to be a boy or a girl or that they're supposed to be athletic um, or a certain level of intelligent by this age or that age. 
we just put so much pressure on ourselves that I don't know that society is giving us that pressure. We oftentimes I hear so many women say that, well, you know, it's it's mom shaming or it's friend shaming or social media shaming, and I think a lot of times it's it comes from within. It does, hundred percent. Yeah, people aren't putting that on you. No, no, and. If they are, toss them out. Yeah, Sis, toss yeah, them out. you're gone. They don't belong on your at your table. No. Um, what are some of the unhelpful things that people say to you? Oh, girl, we could write a book here. <laughs> yes, and we've already mentioned one. Um, absolutely. Just stop trying. Yeah. Stop thinking about it. Yeah. As soon as you just give it up and stop worrying about it, it'll happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that one is definitely the worst. Yeah. I, I feel like those four or five words put together is literally some of the most horrific words I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, you you know, as I got more mentally healthy about this subject and was able to, to talk about it a little bit more um, out to friends, I, I would find myself almost saying it, slipping to say it. And if I've said it to anybody, I am so incredibly <laughs> sorry because it's awful. We're it taking just, it back. We're taking it back. It is <laughs> awful to hear. Um, but with that being said, um, a lot of people so often, and um, no offense to our parents, but it's kind of more the older generation um, that are now uh, have grandkids mm-hmm. um, or have full-grown kids, they um, forget, I guess, kind of get away from that, and they will ask you, they will assume something. They will assume you don't want kids, or they will um, just tell you, you need to start trying. You you know, why, why aren't you starting your family yes. yet, you know? So um, those are some of the things, like just people's assumptions of, um, or do you not want kids, you know? Um, that, one, that one was pretty rough. People are so brazen sometimes. But I can think back on things that I've said that was brazen can you imagine me being brazen <laughs> no oh. and so um I also think there's opportunity for us as the women to have a little bit more grace for the people asking the questions because they don't know they don't know absolutely and we can't hold that against them but it could be on the very worst day of the month yes. it could be the day you started your period and for the 16th month in a row you are no you are not pregnant <laughs> and they don't know that and so we can't really hold it against them, but man, there are there is a glossary of unhelpful things that are said to someone who is trying. Absolutely. Um, one of the other ones is just remembering that even though we don't have children yet, um, or may never have children, um, we're not different. We're still humans. We're still females, males. Um, we still love children. Um, we still go to work. Um, we still go to sporting events. We um, still would like to, you know, help with homework for your kids mm-hmm. or um, just be there while they're screaming, running through the house, and you're trying to calm them down at dinner, and we're trying to have a conversation in between. We're, we're, we want to be there. We want to be right up in the middle of your kids. Sometimes we want you to leave your kids with us and go have a date night or have a quiet night and let us have them. Um we want to spoil them rotten and just please don't push us away. Don't. That's one thing I can say about you, Kara, is with your three kiddos and your husband, you've never pushed me away. You've never said, well, I'm in the middle of gymnastics and, and baseball and that's just, we don't have anything in common. So, you know, stop inviting me and stop having me go places. And even when for several years, there was a dark cloud over my head because I just felt so weak um, and so useless as a wife. Um, 
and a potential mother, uh, you never shied away from me. And I would be, that would be some advice I would give someone. I have heard of so many friendships, specifically female friendships, and this is what it said. Well, we're just in different places in our life. I have kids (laughs) and she hasn't had kids yet. And, you know, they're trying, but they haven't been able to do it yet. And so we've just kind of grown apart. And I hear that over and over and over again. So besides never leaving you out, what, how does our friendship work where I have three and you have none and I can still make you feel important and you can still make me feel important and we can still feel like we have so much in common and we are an integral part of each other's lives, but on totally different levels. I think it goes back to our favorite word or my favorite word, grace. Um, You know, at first... There was, well, but I've got the kids. And, you know, I heard so many of our girlfriends say that, but I've got my kids. Well, you're a package deal. Mm -hmm. You come with a Mitchell and you come with three kids. Like, that's just part of your package. So when I invite you somewhere or you invite me somewhere, I never think that you won't be without your fivesome, you know. And so it became easier and easier as you guys adjusted to having your beautiful, beautiful twins. Um, and, you know, they were two, two and a half. And I remember y'all coming over one night on the porch and kids were screaming, running in the yard of all different ages. And I was just loving it, you know, and we were still in the middle of that, um, the medical part of the battle. And I, I didn't care. Like I just, my house was full. My house was full of people. Our bellies were full of food and we were having a few margaritas, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And the twins were sleeping on the bed in that weird little pillow. pillow. The yes, pillow. that pillow that you had. It. Yep. And um, we kept going in and peeking. I remember me and Megan and Natalie going in and peeking in on them and wanting to grab them and pick them up, hoping they were awake yet. And um, so they were probably even smaller than yeah. two. Um, but just we wouldn't. We didn't shy away from each other. If it didn't work, you know, if something happened and we couldn't go get pedicures, if you know the kids were sick or or somebody had something, we had baseball signups that we forgot about or something. We just made it work. We, we would reschedule. Yeah, we'd reschedule. We wouldn't yes. cancel. Yes. But I remember if we want to go back to the time before the night that you remember where we were running all over your house and that green pillow was there and you met me at the car and you always, always met me at the car to get the dang green pillow. And we were toting one car seat on each arm yeah. and you were grabbing that green pillow every time. And yeah. I felt so understood and welcomed by someone who had never been in my shoes. Um But prior to that, I remember having the guilt of, well, she wants me to come, but I'm coming over and I'm bringing all of this extra (laughs) stuff. And it's just, I'm going to be the buzzkill and I'm going to be the fun sucker because my kids are going to be crying and Caroline's going to have needs and I'm not going to be able to to step away and be present for her and and Mitchell for Kenny. And um, I remember having that guilt. And I think you pulled me aside one day and said that those exact words, like y'all are a package deal. When I invite you, I want everyone there. I want you to come. I never expect you to come without. Um, If you can do that, that's great. If you can't, we love your kids and we're going to meet you at the car and get the dadgum green pillow. We're going (laughs) to put it on our bed and we're going to rock them to sleep. And just like I, you, I never shied away from you. You never shied away from me and, and what package deal came with me, the overwhelming package deal <laughs> that 
came with me. Well, and and we have seasons. We all have seasons. We have, you know, we my husband and I have a fishing season, and we've had golf seasons in the past, and we've had where, you know, we had this last summer, or, or maybe it was two summers ago, where it was like vacation after vacation mm-hmm. after vacation, and it was just, oh, we just get unpacked from one to start to go to another, and um, you know, we had s- such a few fun couple of years and, but even those seasons, like whether you've joined the chamber of commerce or, you know, you've joined an activity at your church or a Bible study, something like that, that, you know, there's going to be times where you come in and out and just knowing you said it exactly right. Just understanding, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, even though you've never walked in, in them mm-hmm. and, knowing that they're going to be there for you. And like you said earlier, if they're not, if it if it's a misunderstanding and it's not working out, you don't force it. And it will come back around or it won't. Yeah. But it's just, you know, for us women that are still fighting that battle and working on their family and getting our family started, you know, we we absolutely want to be just right in the middle of your chaos, right in the middle of your... And the battle can already feel so isolating those of us who aren't in the battle have got to do better about not furthering the isolation. Well, and I think this came up too, you know, I think, you know, you do an excellent job, so um, I can't give you an example of one thing that you've done wrong, but I would say also like we've talked about this a hundred times about inviting us, mm-hmm. you know, you inviting me, even though I don't have kids and it's a birthday party. I went to Caroline's, I believe it was her fifth, fourth um, golly, time flies. And, um, I went to her birthday party and I mean, I didn't have anything but a gift to show up with. Right. No kids, no, you know, but I, you know, I got to watch them play on the slip and the slide thing. And, you know, and the same thing with you, like invite each other. And if we can make it, we can make it. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, we don't, you know, we just like, you know, we've talked about, um, events that are, that are hard, you know, whether it be a wedding or a baby shower or something that maybe we're not, ready we're not ready to step out and go to those things or maybe we're realizing that that's becoming hard for us to do too invite us anyway yes we I would love to shower you with gifts I love buying baby stuff oh my gosh that stuff's cute you Mm -hmm. know and I would love to just spend all my money on dresses and little Nike tennis shoes and now you may bring it to the mother's house before the shower so that you don't have to attend the shower right but you want to provide that for that baby. Right. You're happy that baby exists. Absolutely. And, um, this, and the same thing for you guys, too. You know, we want to be there. You guys want to be there for us. And it's it's no different. We're not different. You know, yeah. we want the same goals. And um, so just not still extending that invitation both directions. How do you think that this journey has affected your walk with God and your faith? We talked a little bit earlier about how you've now realized that his plan is sovereign and supreme and um, you're trying to kind of unleash or release the reins on this a little bit at a time. Um, How do you feel like it has improved or caused strife in your faith and your walk with God? Well, I grew up going to church. Um, My dad took us to a Methodist church there in Jacksonville and loved the preacher. Um, enjoyed vacation Bible schools, and um, when I was in high school, one of my high school uh, classmates' dad was a preacher there in Palestine, loved going to his churches, um, his lessons, and um, vacation Bible school, or Sunday school, I mean, Um, but I will say there was a time period, and maybe it's just young adolescence, where you kind of stray from it, 
Um, not that I believed anything less. Um, I know that my brother has had lots of struggles where I feel like he questioned, you know, even wondering if God existed. But we've learned that together, both of us together, that we're just angry and we directed our anger towards God and we didn't let him, we didn't listen to his plan. We, um, we didn't question that it existed. We just were mad at how things were going at the time, you know, whether it was our childhood or, or how things were going in our adulthood. And so I think really coming around to seeing how things develop as you get older and that, you know, there's little signs, if you want to say, little miracles, but so many ways, so many places along the way, God shows us little miracles, little signs, um, answered prayers and unanswered prayers of things that we do and don't need. And so many times I have heard people say, you know, I... He, he showed me this sign. He showed me this, and I wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's taken a lot. I've definitely challenged him a lot more than he probably wants me to. Um, but I think, you know, your friendship has uh, really strengthened my relationship with God, talking to him every day like we're best friends. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, the formal prayer in church. It's not um, the Christmas prayer it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's it's just me and Him talking. And in my vulnerable states and in my um, graceful states of knowing that so many people are fighting far worse battles than I think that I'm fighting, um, He's really shown me, just keep opening up, Carrie. Like, don't, don't stop opening that window for me and let me let my light shine in on you. Yeah. Um, so it's still very much a work in progress. Um, but every day I feel like I either talk to God a little bit more like we're best buds or I see a little sign of a miracle that he's performed that shows me that he's got me and he knows, he knows my plan. I just have to let it go and give it to him. That's always so hard. Um, so in the last two-ish years, I think, is when you began to feel this shift where you felt like it was important to, for you to be more transparent about this journey. Am I right? Yes. Two years-ish. Yeah. And that's um, when you and I have probably be- become the closest. Um, so we've walked through some different stages of grief together. Um, still month to month, still cycle to cycle. Um, there's been some situations where you've thought it was and then it wasn't. We've seen signs and symptoms and tests and all of that where we had our hopes really high but kept saying, we're not going to get our hopes up. We're not going to get our hopes up. We said that so many times, right? Yeah. But our hopes were through the roof and then for them to come crashing down but have to immediately recover and say, okay, today starts another month and we're going to try this again. Um, we're going to change the route a little bit and try something different. Um... <laughs> I feel like you saying yes to this podcast is you being obedient to being more transparent. This urging that you've been having for the last two years, I think this was an urging from God for you to be more transparent. And I knew I wanted to interview you on this podcast from the very get-go. And I came to you and I asked you if you would. You immediately said yes, but it was a very, like... You said yes, but I knew it was yes, but let's wait a little bit. 
because it is really, really, really hard to sit here and, and record this for whoever decides to listen as if you are literally riding infertile on your forehead. Yeah. And that's something that's painful to own, um, knowing that anything can change and anything can happen. But if you've been feeling this urging, like I have been feeling this urging to have this podcast, and I've seen how this podcast has transformed my heart alone. I don't really know what it's done for other people. I'm hearing things, and that's great. Um, I was obedient in doing this, and it has greatly blessed me. Even just this conversation has greatly blessed me. I know that by you being transparent and you being obedient to his urgings, that this is going to greatly bless you. And I have this feeling that it is great where it will be I don't know that it will be a child I don't know that it will be a baby but connections uh, you're going to be able to minister to people who you didn't know are fighting this battle we're sitting here right now and we don't know all the people that this is going to resonate with Um, we know some of them close to us who have we've even today received information and tips and tricks from um, motivating things and encouragement but there are so many people fighting this battle who are still in the alone section the isolating section where they feel like no one around them needs to know or they need to totally do it by themselves. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Um, I'm excited to see how God shows out with just this conversation. I had two friends come to me and share with me a verse that they felt like got them through an important time, um, a similar time, and also one that they feel like is you. Um, and so the first one is Psalms 126.5, and this is one that got a friend of ours through a time of infertility. And it says, those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest of joy. And he does not know the story that you're about to tell, and you didn't know I was going to ask you about this story. But you had a situation last week about that lemon tree from your grandma. And you, when, before you sold the property, you took clippings from the lemon tree and you planted them at home in Franklin and the freeze killed it, right? Correct. So my dad had taken clippings and from his tree, um, had given me some clippings several years back. And if any of y'all know me at all, I'm not a green thumb. And this last year, um, with the big freeze in 2021, um, somehow it survived. Um, the tree came back and, you know, the leaves had died off of it from the frost, um, of the tarps on it, but came back. And then in this year, um, with the freezes that we had, but obviously not near as much snow, um, it did end up dying and not coming back. And I remember talking to a coworker who was a big green thumb and she just said, keep keep the faith. It, it, it's going to come back. I'll come over to your house and we'll dig it up. It's it's there. It's uh, And, you know, I just kept looking at this little knot or stump, this tiny little stump, and I thought, it's not going to come back. And, you know, we love to mow. And one day the, the, um, the hay grass had grown over um, this lemon tree right by my carport. And I was jamming off to some, some music and forgetting about it, and I ran over it. And... I immediately felt, you know, oh my gosh, what was that? And then I thought, oh, it was the last bit of my lemon tree. It was that dead stump that was there. It's a little bitty, but it still made enough of a thump. And mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't it was the thump that I thought of at the time. But 
last week I'm out in my yard and you know it's getting pretty dry around here and I look over and I'm like that's not bahia grass that's not really healthy weeds I was like I know those leaves that is my lemon tree and I don't know if it were me cutting the the stump in half and pushing it further into the ground. I don't know, Kara, but it I had eight little saplings of lemon trees come up from this stump. So they were in two little clumps, which to me represented my two grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I now have lemon trees again. And so the person that shared this verse with me today had no idea that we had, you and I had had this conversation about fruit and how fruit, a, a fruit tree is bearing fruit. It doesn't always bear fruit. Clearly, you've seen times where there's not been fruit um, on the tree and on your tree of life. You haven't felt fruit. And so um, I'm going to read this again. It's Psalms 126.5. It says, those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest of joy. And that harvest is fruit. And so I feel like this is just the beginning of obedience. You taking this step and sharing this and us being able to bring this all together. God has totally worked this out. Um, I'm telling you, he had no idea. This this fruit tree story, he had no idea about the lemon tree. And when he said it to me today, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So um, the second verse I'm going to share is one that was actually said about you, that this He feels that this is your um, place. This is exactly what you provide to people who are in the same exact situation as you. So it is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So you being obedient and coming on here and saying, I am, I am struggling. I have been struggling for ten and a half years. You need comfort. You get comfort from Jesus. You get comfort from those around you who are sources of Jesus for you. And you are now giving comfort out like candy because you're coming on this podcast and you're being vulnerable and obedient and saying, yes, I will, I will speak it. I will claim it that this is my struggle and there is going to be blessings from it. So we are claiming that there will be fruit. We don't know what the fruit looks like. There are lemon, lemons on your lemon tree. And we are claiming that there will be actual fruit from this story and that the last 10 and a half years have had purpose and that they will have the most beautiful story um, after this. And so I'm so thankful that you came on and you were obedient. You agreed to do this with me. I know that it, it was, it was, we were hesitant at first <laughs> and we had to get you to a point where you said, okay, I'm, I'm okay with coming on. And even, I mean, we planned this episode two weeks ago. And so, um, I'm just so dang thankful for your friendship, for the way that you never give up on me. I hope that you feel the same way from me, that we never give up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how different our situations are, you bring us back together you're constantly a source of comfort for me. Just like that verse said, you're a source of comfort for me. And I'm not even in the same battle as you. But every single battle that I have faced since knowing you, you have been a number one source of comfort for me. So I pray that you can be a source of comfort for so many other women and men who are going through the same situation. 
And maybe it has nothing to do with infertility at all, but people just see you as a light. And I know that they will, because I sure do. Thank you, Kara. So thank you for coming on. And um, I'm so excited to see what God does with this. Same. With each passing week, we learn the incredible power of a person's story. Every one unique and supremely designed, just waiting to be shared when the time is right. But what is even more powerful than the story is the grace surrounding it. May we give it courageously, may we receive it graciously, and may we try to make this place a little bit more like paradise. Thanks for listening to A Slice of Paradise.